until they're truly redeemed. The core value of man is I am the center of my universe. And so every single thing that happens, I filter that through how is that affecting me? Roadblocks to spiritual growth. Today on In the Shadow of the Cross. Shadow of the Cross. I am Lauren Rosser, and I am here with Jim Durkin. Good morning. And James Bond. Yeah. No, <laughs> Michael Harden. Good to see you. So, so everyone knows what we're talking about when when we use the program where we record these. You have to enter your name, and uh, this week Michael entered James Bond, and uh, last week who who was it? There was another Billy one you, you put in. Billy Bob Thornton last week. Yeah, I want my French fried taters and. Mm-hmm. It's one of my all-time favorite movie characters. All right. So we thought it would be fun to talk about roadblocks to spiritual growth. And really, the place we need to start is what do we even mean by spiritual growth? We probably, depending on the group or the community you grew up in, you probably have even a different definition of what spiritual growth even is. So I know for me... Spiritual growth meant basically becoming a more moral person, mm-hmm. like uh, having following uh, rules of codes of conduct extremely well, and also reading my Bible every day and and being unafraid to tell people about Jesus was like the markers of spiritual growth. At least in my, in my youth, that was the markers. It's changed over the years, depending on the different groups and people I was with. So I'm sure everybody listening could come up with a different thing that they think of when they hear spiritual growth. So, so let's define that term. What do we mean by spiritual growth? What is spiritual growth? I think one of the, uh, uh, First things that most people would agree on is at least the term uh, becoming more Christ-like. That's spiritual growth. The more Christ-like I become, the more spiritual I am, etc., etc. It's it's the breakdown of what we mean by becoming Christ-like. Yeah, and I think Lauren, you hit probably hit the nail on the head when you say uh, becoming more morally adapt to the rules and, and and the regulations of my particular denomination. You know, the more I become obedient to, um, I, well, whatever, whatever those rules happen to be, uh, whether they're social justice rules in, in one setting and another, they're abstaining from all the taboo sins, you know, that, that the church is defined, you know, and the, and my comment to a lot of that is that, uh, adherence to moral laws doesn't make one more holy. It makes a liar out of most people. We'll explain wow. that in a minute, but just chew yeah, on it. <laughs> that's, that's a good comment. Yeah. Everybody chew, chew on this and yeah, to, to be continued, we'll return to Jim and find out what he means by that. Michael, what are your thoughts on, on spiritual growth? Well, I, I'm going to, I think both of you are spot on to, to your point, Lauren, the, 
uh, introduction of the law in the process of sanctification in the Reformed tradition is what has created this notion that spiritual growth equals uh, taking on certain cultural uh, moral values, okay? To Jim's point, Christ-likeness is going to depend on your view of Jesus. You can have a very bad view of Jesus, and you'll end up being just like that bad view of Jesus. So I, I think both those points have to be uh, acknowledged at the beginning. The first is that spirituality and spiritual growth is not to be equated with moral growth. It does have to do with one's character in the same way that morality does. But we're talking about something, uh, we're talking about character that is much deeper than just, uh, you know, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't swear, I don't go to dances, I don't, you know, I, I, well, whatever. Um, The second thing is, is that Christ-likeness uh, has, has I think, always been a part of uh, spiritual growth, going back to the early church with their catechisms, uh, their catechetical practices, I should say, you know, the Didache and other docs and the Sermon on the Mount and these kinds of texts that were used to, to form us into the image of Jesus. In the Middle Ages, the spirituality of the um, clergy uh, including the secular clergy, like the monks and the nuns, that was separated from the laity. And so the priests and the monks and the nuns were expected to live up to that higher standard, whereas the laity didn't have to. And so Christ-likeness amongst the regular population wasn't really emphasized. And then um, in the later Middle Ages, you you have some beautiful texts I think of Guizhou II's uh, The Ladder of Monks, where he talks about the spiritual journey as an ascending, like climbing a ladder. Unfortunately, uh, that ladder motif has been um, ripped off by modern Protestantism, so the climbing of the ladder has now to do more with, I'm I'm better than this person below me. As long as I keep climbing, there's people below me that are worse than me. Why, I'm okay. And then finally, I would say that um, we have to distinguish between religious growth, which is unhealthy. That's where I'm there every moment the church doors are open. I'm, you know, doing all the things the church wants me to do. I'm just, I'm involved. I'm, you know, I'm a deacon. I'm a this, I'm a that. I do volunteer work here. I'm just always there. That's religious growth. Spirituality is very different because Any authentic Christian spirituality, like any other doctrine, has to start at the cross. We have to start spirituality at the cross. We have to acknowledge that within um, spirituality, the dark night of the soul plays a very prominent role. And most people, uh, if they go through a dark night of the soul, uh, because they are not they are not aware uh, that their circumstances are not a barometer of the Father's love, that dark night of the soul becomes for them oppressive and depressive and, and it handicaps them. They can't move spiritually. They're stuck, you know, or, or they start just saying, well, there is no God. God doesn't love them, up, up, up. But that dark night of the soul, that crucifixion of the ego, is absolutely essential to spiritual growth. For unless a grain of seed falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. 
So the, that's the first thing I would say is that until we, we are able to go through a dark night of the soul in our own personal existence, trusting the Father as Jesus stood on the cross, um, we won't experience what Paul talks about in Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. I'm dead. I'm, I'm dead. The world is crucified to me. I'm crucified to the world. The whole damn thing is dead. What I find interesting, though, is that what you were sharing about the dark night of the soul, and we're talking about spiritual growth, is that 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 falls so much in line with everything else in the kingdom of how the kingdom is so upside down. The last will be first, the, the first will be last, you know, uh, the least is the greatest, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. And then, and then you, when you talk about spiritual growth, it's interesting because from the from the kingdom perspective, what you just presented, Michael, is it's the opposite of what we think. That we think of growth is is going up and up and up, things things getting better and better and better, levels of success like the business yeah. world and stuff. And then what you just said, you just flipped it upside down and said, no, it's you go in the grave and you die. Right. Now everything yeah. in my natural, everything in my natural mind, or at least in uh, in my American culture of success, tells me that's wrong, you know, says that's not success. That if I wake up one morning and, you know, um, you know, my wife has left me and my kids have, have taken off from me and my dog has run down the street and can't find him. And, uh, somebody stole my car. And then I would say I'm a complete failure. I would say you're a country, you know, (laughs) unless you, unless you wrote a, uh, Best-selling song on the, uh, you know, on the uh, <laughs> Western genre. Uh, then you, maybe you would be a success. But, but I think What's that funny. song's already been written. You know, they, they, What's they, funny is that's actually what I was pulling it from, was country music when yeah. I was coming up of with course. my analogy. But your dog did It's a country song. I'd like to pick up on something Michael said, though. Um. Because I, I, I think it it, uh, it it merits putting an exclamation point on it. That spiritual growth is not the same as religious growth. And, yeah. and I, I, when, you, when you were saying that, Michael, I, w- I was saying that I was thinking in terms of I am uh, have been for a number of years now, I think 2003, I joined the Marine Corps League. And when I when I joined the Marine Corps League, um, I was pretty insecure about it. Uh, actually, I was one of the youngest people in the league at the time, and um, most of the guys that were in there had their stories all polished, you know. And uh, what I did come to learn was that many times, as the stories were recounted, they uh, this time of telling this story, there was more people on the hill and they had fewer bullets uh, than the last time I heard it, but nonetheless. And over time, I began to see that there is a, um, a ladder, uh-huh. like, like you were talking about, uh, and you could kind of climb that ladder by, you know, you know it's kind of like the Boy Scouts getting your merit right. badges. You do the certain things that need to be done. And in, I believe it was 2013, so 10 years later, uh, I was voted in as the uh, commandant of the, of the league. 
I've served as a chaplain. I've served as their paymaster. And I'm the commandant again right now. And the point being that you do the things necessary to become successful, mm -hmm. if you will, within the league. Okay. All right. Having said that, I don't think there's anything wrong with if that's your choice. It's my choice to be part of the, the league. There's lots of other social clubs that I could join. I don't really feel drawn to the Elks or the Kiwanis or anything like that. If the one that you feel drawn to is the church world, the evangelical world, the liturgical world, whatever it is that you're, and you want to climb the ladder within that, you want to do the things necessary to gain recognition and, and position and authority and whatever. I don't think there's anything wrong with that if you put a period there. If, therefore, you equate that to spiritual growth, you're making a, a, a serious mistake. Mm -hmm. so, so one is a, if you will, uh, it, it's, it's a social club. Mm-hmm. The other is a relationship, and never the twain shall meet, as they say. <laughs> it's like, but I think it. I think it bears stating that if you want to grow within the social club called church, not the church that Jesus is building, but the church that mankind has built, the the club. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't have a problem with that. That's that's your choice. But uh, what we're talking about today is spiritual growth, and I think it needs it, it needs to be said that uh, they're not they're not one and the same. So that's that's a really good point, Jim, because it's true that I could decide. Okay, I want to be the best Sunday school teacher I can be. And I could be in a church and put my energy towards that and decide that that's what I'm going to do. But I'm not going to wear that, like you said, as a merit badge and impose that upon other people outside the group. And nor am I going to see that as that equals spiritual growth, um, you know, in, and, in and that hope, sense. And hopefully, Lauren, as a Sunday school teacher or, you know, the men's Bible study teacher or whatever, Hopefully, you're going to teach others to not equate that with spiritual growth either. You're gonna, you're gonna. In other words, you're gonna teach the difference between uh, growing in that system or whatever, uh, being a, a, a good member of the community and whatever, as it differs from personal spiritual growth, and. Not only personal spiritual growth, but spiritual growth within the community. Because I, I think they, I don't think you can isolate yourself and think that you're growing spiritually if you do not see how you fit within the whole community. There's a saying in Al-Anon, religion is for people trying to stay out of hell. Spirituality is for those who've been there. Oh, that's good. The, uh, that, that's been very important for me because it helps me to distinguish between uh, religion and religious growth, you know, knowledge of the Bible, uh, 
time at church, knowledge of the denomination, all the stuff that goes with all that nonsense. And then spiritual growth, which is entirely uh, different uh, subject matter. Uh, because spiritual growth has a psychological component. It has a personal component. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, it has a psychological component, which is personal, but it has a social component. Well, spirituality is not something that one does uh, by oneself, because if, first of all, if one is alone, one still has all the great, great spiritual writings of the past in the Christian tradition and in other traditions. Okay, and I don't want to—I don't want to limit spiritual growth to uh, conformity to a Christian tradition, because in my own case. I did not start growing spiritually until I learned the Native American shamanic tradition. And that brought me back into the gospel, which then allowed me to to grow in, in ways that I, I could not think or imagine before, you know. But, it, but like I said, it did take that kind of crucifixion of the ego. There's that the psychological part of spiritual growth is that one does learn that um, most emotions in life are ephemeral. Emotions come and go. And a spiritual person isn't ruled by their emotions. You know, they're, they have them, they experience them, but they don't act on them. That's, that's what Paul refers to as self-control as a fruit of the Spirit. And the, the second observation I would make is not only is it psychological where we learn about ourselves as we learn about, quote, God, and as we learn about God, quote, we learn about ourselves. There is that mutual self-knowledge that takes place in real spirituality. It is not just, I'm going to know God, I'm going to know God, I'm going to know. No, the more you know God, the more you know yourself. And Calvin even recognizes this, and he starts the Institutes off, as I've said before, where he says self-knowledge and God-knowledge are so intertwined, which comes first and which comes second, it's often hard to discern, you know. And then, in addition to that, spirituality is social. It is something we have between us. We share between ourselves as individuals, as Gerard said, and that that creates the concept of the body. And I have to now go take care of Rosie, so I'll let you guys come in. <laughs> that was Michael's dog in the background. <laughs> well, I, I, I just, again, just meditating on what um, uh, Michael was saying there, uh, there's a lot in certain uh, circles right now, there's a lot of um, teaching or emphasis on identity, you know, finding your identity and and whatever. And although certainly I I would agree with that, I think a lot of the emphasis on identity that's being put on identity now is misses the mark what what michael was saying is in knowing god you know you know yourself in knowing yourself you know god uh that's different than what's being talked about now and being called finding your identity yeah. you know it's finding your identity is you know that you're going to be the next greatest 
whatever because you have a destiny and a call on your life and whatever. And, you know, again, within a religious club, fine. If that's the identity you want to find as you want to climb that ladder, that's fine. But if we're talking about finding yourself in God, I remember my dad did a series years ago in, in entitled Finding Your Identity in the Word. Your identity is in God. It's not in your whatever, your status in the, in the system. So uh, I appreciate what you're saying there, Michael, about that. Uh, can you repeat that? How, exactly how did you say that? Um, well, I talked about spirituality as personal and spirituality as social it has both components. So which component did you want me to elaborate on? You were talking about, um, knowing God. Oh, yes. So, yes, yeah, so it is a, it is a dual. It is a, it, I, I'll use the word dual or, or, or a by, by it's a, it's a two-sided reality for most Christians. Knowing God it means knowing doctrine, knowing Bible verses, um, their prayer life. I, I don't know, you know, when I hear Christians pray, uh, it's it's always amazingly the same damn kind of thing. So, for example, we went out not too long ago with a family, and they had to pray at the restaurant. And the dad bows his head and says, Dear Father God, we give you thanks for all this food that's here before us and the hands are prepared and we're just really grateful to be together and we just want to thank you in Jesus' name, amen. And it's like, what the, f you know, are you doing? <laughs> right? <laughs> you know? And it's the same with pastoral prayers in church. Pastor does the same, you know, and, and it's like, if you if you talk to me the same way every time, I, I wouldn't hang out with you very often, you know? Hey, Lauren, how's it going? I love, really love the podcast. It's really great here. We're having a good time. How about you, Jim? Doing well? Okay. Well, I thank you, Lauren. Okay. Amen. Right? This is like, you're kidding me, right? You're kidding me. No. So um, spirituality, what is spirituality? Spirituality is to engage in the world of the spirit. And the world of the spirit is not the world of the mind. It's not the world of thoughts. Interestingly enough, in my experience, emotion is what governs uh, the spirit world. And that's why it's so important when one is, is growing in their spirituality that one both learns how to identify their emotional state, how to uh, moderate their emotional state, and when to use emotions to bring about changes, good emotions, to Mm -hmm. Emotion. We're talking about motion. We're talking about movement. We're talking about activity. You know, how to use good, healthy emotion to create, you know, healing in relationships and healing in oneself. And then the final component I want to say is this, and this has not been a huge part of the Christian tradition, although one finds it from time to time in people like St. Francis, and that's nature. Nature is the most important part of a spiritual journey. The natural world, the forest, the ocean, the desert, um, you know, flowers, trees, birds, wind, air, snow, rain, sun, uh, life itself. Life is created by, by God, the natural world, not civilization, not humanity, but the natural world, nature. 
You cannot experience a robust, healthy spirituality if you are not grounded in the earth. Your spirituality will be so heavenly bound, it's no earthly good. And when you're grounded in the earth, when you have learned um, how to walk in a forest, for example, and experience the forest on the level of aesthetics, beauty, um, you've experienced the forest on the level of, you know, what you see and hear around you, your awareness. But there can be a place where you can actually experience the forest on the level of spirit, you know, and there's much I could say on that, but I won't because it's pretty esoteric. Well, and you just hit on um, two things that are really missing or have gone astray in, in a lot of us having especially people like me who are raised in like a Protestant evangelical background is that first of all, we, we tend to be so Gnostic that um, what you just said, uh, I know years back that uh, it would have been offensive to me. Oh, Michael's becoming a new ager, you know? Um, But, but it's that because we see it as this natural world, natural, bad, spiritual good. So we think, you know, the spirit inside me is what matters, not, my physical being. And so we tend to shun, and that all comes from Plato. There's, you know, and, 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 um, past teaching and Mike, uh, Steve, uh, Steve Crosby did a really good teaching on where all this Gnostic thinking that the body, soul, and spirit came from and how it goes back to Plato and how entrenched in it we've become where it's not even Christian or the early writers, Paul, and, and, um, weren't, weren't thinking that way at all and how that's become so ingrained in us. So, so we tend to have like this, uh, uh, I almost want to say we tend to almost despise the natural world. If you come from that background, cause it's like, Oh, this doesn't matter. You know, I'm going to leave this world. I'm leaving my body. You know, it doesn't matter. Um, so, you know, you look like me, like you've eaten 20 cheeseburgers and, you know, <laughs> but no, but, but so you've got, you've got that side of it. And then you've also got the other side of it where in Protestantism, this is something I'm just learning now, is there's no doctrine of beauty. Um, huh. And you you were just talking about that, about how when you walk into the forest, enjoying the beauty and stuff, that's all stuff that I'm realizing that um, there are, like you said, in, in the church fathers and stuff, there there are people who had that and clung to that. But, but that is so absent in in my Protestant upbringing. Um, not because they were terrible, evil people. It's just not there. Because again, this world doesn't matter. And so there's not this thing of pausing and and indulging in beauty, which which makes it also that I think that's why you have so much, you know, um, it, especially in evangelical Christianity, there was a lot of um, struggles over where's the creativity? Where's the arts? Well, you can't have that if you don't have a doctrine of beauty. Right. Because that's what that is. That's embracing, just like you said, Michael, that that natural world or be, the beauty that's around us and acknowledging that that God is beautiful and that God created beautiful things and 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 taking time to appreciate that. And like you said, that is that is energizing. And uh, and it's funny because I know even in uh, in evangelical circles, they do deep down recognize that because they would come up. I was a camp counselor for years and we were in the uh, around Lake Arrowhead in Southern California in the mountains and the woods. And people would come up there and they would say all the time, I feel so close to God. Yeah. 
And it's like, oh, you just became a Native American. You just became yeah, a New Ager. Yeah, you know, what, what happened to you? You know, but, but, but they would yeah, say it, sure. you know, because there's something that because when you're in nature, there, there is something of God you witness in of his beauty that's energizing well, in those here's places. Here's the thing. Nature is purity. The, the, listen, when you're in the natural world, it doesn't lie. Snakes bite, spiders bite. Poison, plants, poison, um, sunsets and sunrises astonish. It, it's only truth. It's pure. There's no That's true. In the natural world. It is what it is. You know, it's earthquakes, it's tsunamis, it's everything, everything. It is what it is, you know. And, um, and it doesn't tolerate. It doesn't tolerate she, Earth, Mother, Mother Earth, Gaia. doesn't tolerate deception. I remember years ago, uh, I went to a uh, spiritual renewal weekend that was uh, hosted by our Catholic brethren. Mm. And they sing a song uh, that really tweaked me, not necessarily in a good way the first time I heard it, but the song was, Have You Seen Jesus, My, my Lord? And and it one verse says, "Have you ever looked at the sunset?" Uh-huh. And it, it describes it. And then it says, "Then I say you've seen Jesus, my Lord." And another verse, "Have you ever walked at the by the seashore?" And and it describes that the waves and so on and so. On. Then I say, "You've seen Jesus, my Lord." And, and I was like, "Oh yeah, man, no. these guys these guys need a revelation of the Lord." <laughs> and 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 the more. The more I, I walked in that, and the more really, not even realizing it, but the more that song and conversations with uh, some First Nations people here in, in our county, uh, the more I began to realize that I was the one that was being deceived, you know, by Western religion. It's like, yeah, they're... You know, some of the best times I've ever had was when I'd go out into the middle of the forest and sit, you know, down at the at the bottom of you know at the, at the at the trunk of a tree and just meditate. And I, and I'd walk away from there feeling so elated in the spirit, and and I didn't make the connection. It took a long time to wait a minute. There's something there, and 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 grounding you know and I, I when i when i say grounding i mean actual grounding taking your shoes and socks off and walking on the soil you know it's like there's something to it you know um and there's really an understanding even even for the dominionist you know the ones that we've been given dominion over the earth well, that doesn't mean that somehow our dominion is greater than being connected to the creator who created that earth and treating the earth with the the respect that it deserves to be treated. You know, our dominion does not give us the right to uh, to abuse the creation it's like we have a lot to learn i you know it's just yeah maybe we should go lay in a field somewhere and let the grass talk to us (laughs) there is a 
there's a delightful exercise we do in um, tracker school class, uh, in the philosophy class, um, that I still do. And I, when I'm teaching this, I have my students do this. It's called tree preaching. And you just wander out in the forest where there's nobody around and you preach to the trees. And I mean, you preach your, your emotion, you preach your, and when I'm not talking about preaching the gospel, I'm talking about spilling your guts. And you do it with passion. And um, I'll never forget an experience. I was in Holland and uh, I wandered out in, into a, a forest there near the place we were staying. I found this grove of trees and I just started preaching. And it didn't take too long before, you know, the tears were flowing and my heart was opening. And I'm not kidding you. It, the trees bent in toward me. I could, I don't, I don't know if I saw it in my spirit eye or my physical eyes, but the trees just gently bent in to listen. Mm-hmm. It's a wonderfully therapeutic exercise because you're not, I wasn't talking to God, so to speak. I, w- I was pouring my heart out to that part of my, that part of reality that I am a creature. It's interesting because in line with what you're both saying, I'm, I'm looking back here at my life and seeing so many of the profound turning points in my life occurred in nature. Uh-huh. It, it was, uh, it was before I met you, Jim, that I went out in the woods because my upbringing had taught me that God only speaks through the Bible. And I was in this place where I was just frustrated and I went out and basically went out into the woods and had it out with mm-hmm. God, <laughs> you know, just yelled and screamed. And I, I remember one of the things I shouted at him, I said, I said, cause I was always told the Bible is a love letter, you know? And, and so I said, I said, well, my dad may write me letters, my earthly dad, but I go, he at least calls me. So brilliant. <laughs> And uh, but it was funny because it was shortly after that I connected with uh, with the community that Jim was pastoring and and I started learning that God very much does speak and started learning to listen to for His voice in different ways than only the Bible and so that was beautiful and then that dark night of the soul I I shared with you guys last week where we were Lily and I were all burned out with youth ministry and stuff we returned to Trinidad California right there on the on the ocean coast with the rocky shoreline and everything and we sat there and prayed and talked to god constantly on on that shoreline and and just a whole great unwinding took place right there from all the stuff we were tangled in so so it's i've seen that that there is something to that 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 just getting to that place of uh I don't under, fully understand it, but that place of beauty and, uh, and, and quiet. Um, but, but even I saw it socially where it's interesting because when I was a camp counselor and we were working there with the, the youth up there at the camp, there was a camaraderie among us there amidst nature. You know, mm-hmm. so it's it's kind of interesting that there was there was something that we really became family working together there in the woods and at night sharing our deepest dreams and thoughts and aspirations with each other and, and all that kind of stuff. So so there, there really is something powerful and energizing to that. You guys make me want to go out and go in the woods right now. So, well, good. so but yeah, so we're talking about so the obstacles to spiritual growth. What are the obstacles to spiritual growth? Well, I'll I'll start by saying the biggest obstacle to spiritual growth is one's ego. The thinking mind, how the mind thinks. 
So the thinking mind, the my the I tell when I teach this, I say there's this thing called Michael Harden, and it's been constructed. James Bond. It's been <laughs> it's been constructed in my head, you know. And I I have this life story, this narrative of all these events in my head and all the people I've met, and the things that have happened, and I have a way of telling that story. What I've realized is that it's mostly a mirage. I am not my past. Neither am I the consequences of my past. I, I am the consequences of the lessons I have learned. So yeah. one of the reasons that most people uh, lack any depth of spirituality is because they haven't learned anything yet. Okay? If you don't learn your lessons, the universe will repeat it in your life until you get it. You know, that's how it works. Um, the universe, God, our Heavenly Father, wants us to grow. We believe in life, life, in life that, that, that grows organically, right? That's the first thing is you've got to realize spirituality doesn't have to do with your thoughts. And you, 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 the, the mind is, in fact, perhaps the, the greatest enemy in the beginning, in the beginning. Uh, the mind is the greatest enemy because the mind says, you sh can't pray that way. You can't do that. You can't do this. You shouldn't do that. Look at you. you, you bup, 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 however the mind works. You have to just put all that aside and say, that's, that's not where I'm going to be. I'm going to sit outside. I'm going to simply calm my mind. And there are better techniques than others for doing that so that you don't just got endless loops while you're sitting there. Uh, one excellent technique is to go into what's called wide angle vision or owl vision. So you're seeing 180 degrees periphery. That actually changes your brain pattern, how you're processing things. And the other thing is to just tune your ears into the sounds around you. So you're, you're focused outward instead of trying to close your eyes and, and, and where, and you bring everything inward, whereas all the voices here, we focused outward into the natural world our mind quiets, and then come the intuitive messages that can be heard. Then comes direction. But until you reach silence, you'll never be able to distinguish all the voices in your head and your own voice in your head from that of, of the Father or God or the universe or the Spirit or your better angels, whatever you're going to call them. We have, we have a relationship we have a relationship with a reality that is greater than we can think or imagine, and it does include the spirit world, and the spirit world includes the angelic. It includes the demonic. It includes uh, spirit guides. It's all part of the reality that's out there. And you can either say, oh, I don't believe in it. Well, great. You know, you've just cut off a whole part of yourself from source, you know, Whereas if you are willing to um, allow your brain to just kind of go on vacation for a minute and say, you know what, I, I'm a, well, I tried to chronicle that whole journey that I went through in my book, Walking with Grandfather, what it was like to discover this, you know, and, and realize that, by gosh, spirituality is a full-orbed reality, you know, and it... It, uh, and it, and it began with reflection upon the events in my life that have been the two big dark nights of my soul. You know, I hope I don't have to go through a third one. Hope I've learned the lessons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
They're too painful. They're they cut away all the fat and the garbage and they de declutter and de-junk your life. That's what those experiences do. So that there's room for new growth, room for new beginnings, room, you know, and yeah, Lily and I would call that uh, referring to how the Israelites, you know, they kept wandering around the desert. We would say we're going around the same dumb old mountain, you know, just keep when we keep repeating and repeating the same stupid mistake over and over and over again. It's like, OK, it's time for us to move beyond yeah, this. Right. Um, yeah, but but I like what you shared, Michael. It, it goes right along with what you're saying with preaching to the mm -hmm. trees. Because I think that helps get that all those inner voices that are running through our head out. Because you you get that emotion out, what's what's running through you. I, I find that helps me a lot. Is I'll have like a ton of worries, a ton of things going on inside me, but I can't really still myself until I get that out. And so it's like once I just get that out there with with emotion. You know, if I'm feeling angry, get the anger out. If I'm frustrated and, and like, you know, I've, I've shared before when, when my dad passed away, I had a good cussing match. It, it got, well, I did all the cussing. He did the listening, but, uh, but you know, I just got it out because I knew I, it was like, I was constipated, you know, I had to get it out. And, uh, and, and once, once it was out there, it was like, okay, now I can listen. You know, now I can receive peace now, but, but it's like that stuff has to get out there. And some, sometimes when I walk into some of these church gatherings and, and worship service, what, what I see are just a whole bunch of uh, emotionally constipated people, you know, that, that really, you know, they're using that worship to try and get it out, but it's like, they're, they're trying to put it out on, I'm going to praise you, Jesus. I'm going to do that. It's like, no, you're angry at God. Right. You're frustrated. Or you feel like you're dying, you know, or whatever, right. you know, that's what you need to, because when you read the Psalms, that's what you see. I was like a dead man. You know, you, you see things like that of like being real. And, and that's my thing is, is it starts with being real, but it doesn't end there. But that's where you get it out. And then you, and then that voice is like, then it's like, for me, I find there's like, I could take that deep breath of peace. And it's like, okay, now I can hear the spirit. Now I can hear the instruction. And that's, that's how Lily and I've learned to, to receive his leading is, is we'll get the emotion. We'll get the stuff out there. Cause we know he hears it. Yes. And then once it's, once it's out, now it's like, there's a peace that comes flooding in that's, well, it's really that it's already there. It's just we had to dig through the crap to get to it. Yeah. And then once it's there, it's like, now we can hear instruction. Now we can receive direction um, if he has any to give. Sometimes it's just, we just need his peace, you know? If, if we're willing to stay in a place after we get it out. Yeah. And, and, and what I mean by that is that I've known people in the past that they have their yelling times, you know, with God, telling telling God off because of this or that or the other thing. And as soon as they're done, they get up and walk away. Exactly. Good point, Jim. And 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 it's like they're they're destined to have that yelling match somewhere down the road again. I wouldn't want to because, be their because what they're going to do, they're going to, you know. I, I do a uh, I, I, I do a seminar from time to time. I used to do it twice a year, but uh, called Foundations of the Heart. And in the in that, I make this statement that the core value of man, until they're redeemed, and I don't mean until they 
say a sinner's prayer and get saved. But uh, until they're truly redeemed, the core value of man is I am the center of my universe. And so every single thing that happens, I filter that through how is that affecting me? This is really upsetting me or, you know, this makes me feel really good. And, and so I feel really good about that because it makes me feel really good. And, and therefore, because it makes me feel really good, this must be God. <laughs> and so I do these things that make me feel really good because that's God. And I stay away from these things that make me feel kind of bad because God doesn't want me feeling bad because he has your, my best life is, you know, for me, right? Yeah, all these wonderful things. And, and therefore, I stay away from those. And, and the reality of it is, is not that God is making me feel bad, but I've got a lot of crap in my life that I've kind of taken on because I'm self-centered, because I'm self-motivated. And God has a life for me that is found in relationship. But until I shut up and allow him honestly to talk to me, well, the first, the first times I approach, okay, I'm going to listen to God now. I'm probably going to get a bunch of rules and regulations. I'm probably going to, because I'm already self-deprecating. I'm already, well, God is holy and I am not. And therefore, God is telling me how bad I am. And that's why I like to stay away from God, because he tells me how bad I am. And, and I have to even work through all of that junk before I really get down to the core essence of the relationship that God has. But as Michael said, and, we, and I think we need to get back to that, it has to start at the cross. It has to start there. It cannot start with the awesome holiness of God, the unapproachable light, the, you know, things of that nature. So, Michael, pick up on that if you would. What do you mean by it starts at the cross? Well, so I'm, I'm riffing here on the Johannine, the fourth gospel, the Gospel of John uh, narrative. And that writer... Uh, has a very explicit understanding of Pentecost um, as occurring at Calvary. And so that's why that writer, you know, Jesus will, quote, breathe the Spirit on them in the upper room. That's the Johannine Pentecost. But it's at the cross that the Spirit is given. It has to do with the blood, the spear scene, the blood water scene, the spear scene. It, it's it's a kind of a wrap-up of some of the symbolism that's found earlier in the gospel, particularly chapter 7. But at any rate, the spirit is a cruciform spirit. It is the spirit of the crucified. It is the spirit of the one who trusts the Father in spite of everything, who forgives, you know, it, uh, does not um, seek any retaliation or vengeance, is, is in, in, tune, in tune with... The reality, that, that, that is, that the reality is horrible, but at the same time in tune with the greater reality 
of life over death. That that, that you, when we when we have a mentality, when we have a mindset that sees death as the end of everything, um, we will live in fear of death and we will do all kinds of stupid things because we're afraid of death. Whereas if we believe not just in, I was asked the other day if I believe in life after death. I said, uh, oh, do I believe in the afterlife? Do I believe in the afterlife? That was the question. I said, afterlife? I said, you want me to talk about what comes after death, right? Because life for you comes after death. So we're in death. This is death. We live in death. We live in a world dominated by death, dominated by darkness, principalities, and powers. That's our reality. We live in a, So if you ask me, uh, I talk, I'll talk about the after death, but I don't know about the afterlife. <laughs> you know? Oh, that's good. Wow. We, we, wow. We have to have our mindset on life, that life is affirmed. Love is affirmed. When we Jim is so spot on. Our view of God will shape our character. And if our God is an asshole, we're going to be assholes. You know, and so it's really, really important as one goes through one's spiritual journey to realize our theologies are wrong. They're wrong. They, they don't begin to capture the goodness, the graciousness, the love, the... I mean, Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 1 and again in Ephesians chapter 3. He says it in Romans 11 after, after he says, you know, how do you justify a God that forgives everybody? How do you justify that kind of God? And then he quotes Isaiah, you know, oh, the mind of God, who has been his counselor? Who could imagine a, a creator who said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create, they're going to mess things up. They're going to do the whole right and wrong thing. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to declare them all wrong, and then I'm going to declare them all right. <laughs> you know, I think what's all in the disobedience in order that he may show mercy upon all. And when you believe that, when you trust that, you don't judge people anymore. There's no need to judge anybody. And when people judge you, it, it rolls off you like water on a duck. You don't accept their judgments about you. You don't even worry about them or think about them or care about them. You know, you don't, you don't hurt other people. You you aren't mean. You you're you exhibit the kind of behaviors that love is patient, love is loyal, love is kind, love is true. It seeks the best. Da, 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 da. It's those behavior patterns that you begin engaging because you are a life giver. That was that was well, good. Undetermined. Go ahead, out. Jim. And, and and I think I th I think the the thing, Michael that we need to understand and and again this is one of the reasons why i have a difficulty with religion because religion puts these the end product out there as we make these quantum leaps all of a sudden you know we're we're a sinner and then boom we're a saint because we said a prayer and and what you're saying is we have to grow in that it it gets challenged you know loving your enemy or when people like you said you know when people say wicked things about you and and you hear about it it's like it hurts it flat out hurts 
you're not going to be at the place where, you know, when all men speak evil of you, you know, count it all joy, you know. You're not going to be there because you said a prayer. Right. You're going to be there because you take steps towards that. You you sit down and you you reflect. Lord, I am in you. In you I do live and move and have my being. But this hurts. Yeah. Why? What did it touch in me that isn't yet redeemed, if you if you will, to use you know Christianese? You know what is what is it? What's this process that I need to go through, where I'm in the process of being healed, in the process of in my relationship to you becoming more like you, and 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 I I, I think. If we don't do that, if we keep waiting for, you know, the right magic pill, you know, we're going to, you know, we're going to go and we're going to hear the right combination of scriptures woven together into a 20-minute a, a message and we're going to go away and have our breakthrough. Uh, it doesn't come that way. It, it comes through pain, yes. really. Yes. Yeah, because pain brings us to a place of death, and death brings us to a place of life. That's great. They they did a study not too long ago, and I remember learning this back when I was teaching. That uh, they found that the vast majority of people don't uh, over the age of thirty. Once you hit the age of thirty, the vast majority of people don't change without pain. Um, so change, so pain sadly is what is needed for the vast majority of us to change. And I know that's been true in my life as well. Um, I also find it interesting talking about abiding in death and, and, uh, um, how, when we pray a prayer, we don't just instantly, you know, I mean, not abiding in death, but in this world where death is all around us. And then, mm -hmm. and then how saying a prayer doesn't instantly change us. Another study found the vast majority of dreams that people have are about shame. And, and you think about the jokes about being wearing your underwear in junior high, you know, you know, yeah. walking around school naked or whatever, or, or, you know, um, uh, dreams to do with running away often are shame based, you know, and, and things like that. And, and I find it interesting that it's like how much of our behavior and outlook in life, it, it goes right to that religious root where it's rooted in shame. Mm. Not, not just shame isn't just, I feel bad, I feel bad. Shame is also, I need to pump myself up to look better than you because I feel bad. You know, there's, there's, there's shame in me. So I'm going to do things to make myself better. And I think what helps us, what frees us the most to love our neighbor and love our enemy is when that shame is dealt with. When, when I am not ashamed anymore, when I'm not carrying around that bag of shame, because that shame is what pits me against you oftentimes, you know, is that because, because again, if I feel ashamed and you say something that hits a nerve in me, then I'm going to respond out of that shame that you, you know, I see that even at work as a manager, there'll be certain employees that I just need to, to talk to about something minor, you know, something needs to be changed in a, a behavior, something that's not going right. And it's just something technical. It's not personal. But there are certain people I could see there's that root of shame that as soon as I come in to say, you know, can you change this? There's a, it's either a, I'm, you know, a, a, a pump up to, you know, justify 
or a a uh, I'm going to put on some protective thing because you're crushing me. And and it's interesting when it's just like, hey, can you make sure you hit that button before you leave work? You know, it's like it's not we're not talking like you need to change an attitude or something. But but it just shows how much shame is just drives us and so much. But I think when that shame is gone, it's like I'm able to love you because for one, like we said, knowing yourself when you're comfortable in who you are and you're comfortable in a father who's not pouring shame on you anymore you're not doing that to other people anymore either. Well, now, you, now you're getting back to a podcast we did a few weeks ago on, on sin. Mm. First mention of sin is sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for us. And it had to do with Esau who had shame because he determined that his offering wasn't acceptable but Cain's was and therefore he felt less than Cain less than acceptable to God and he had to take it into his hands to do something about it and and I I think Lauren what you're saying is so right uh it could be as easy as turning and saying you know wow thank you I I forgot that if I pushed that button over there, it would do what what we're trying to get done here. You know, instead of like, I've got 13 years of training. I know what buttons to push, you know. It's like, who are you to come in here and tell me how to do my job? And, And it's all this jockeying for, you know, getting out from under the sense of shame that I feel to proving that, I'm at least equal to you and maybe even a little bit better. <laughs> you know, I've been working at this job for 40 years and you just now came on the team, you know, it's like, you know, whatever, you know. And I, and I I think it all goes back, you know, we're talking to hindrances to spiritual growth and, you know, the religious person would say, well, sin is a hindrance to spiritual growth. Well, sin is, if you understand what sin actually is, then sin becomes a real hindrance. And it's everything that we've been talking about today. It's that ego. It's that I'm the center of my universe. It's the shame-based life that we live, that the voices in our head, it's all of those things. Right. Wow. Great conversations, you guys. We're, we are at time, um, but... I hope you all out there enjoyed listening to this. And uh, uh, Michael, I couldn't help but think when you were said you're James Bond, I was going, well, but you've been both shaken and stirred. So. <laughs> but I haven't been put in the blender. <laughs> no, let's hope that's not down the road for you. <laughs> but I've enjoyed this, you guys. And everybody, thank you for listening. Again, Jim, you mentioned your book again. Where can people find that? Uh, on Amazon. All right, good. And and Michael, uh, also great materials dealing with the things we talked about. You mentioned your book, Walking with Grandfather. Where p- could people Same. find that? Amazon. Amazon has everything, doesn't it? 
<laughs> it pretty much does. I'll tell you, I've been moving in the, having moved into this new house. I'm buying everything from Amazon. I should get stock in them. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> After we get off the broadcast, I'll uh, share some Amazon news with you that'll blow your mind. Okay. All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening. And I'm going to go listen to some Amazon news. I'll talk to you all later. <laughs>